0: Welcome to this kind of extra sermon. Uh, We were due to complete our series, The Crux of Community, last Sunday, but that, of course, coincided with the launch of GBC Online in response to the COVID-19 virus and the partial shutdown of places of worship in particular, Uh, and so we decided that we would do something a little bit more timely and relevant for that space, but we wanted to come back, I wanted to come back and finish off this series with the fifth and final value of being trustworthy, because these values that we have been exploring over the start of this year uh, are, are meant to shape us as a community of faith. And when we find ourselves in the extraordinary circumstances that we do right now, these values perhaps become even more important for us. If we are going to function as the church ungathered, then what does it look like for us to do that? And these values of being on purpose, big hearted, whole life learners, others focused and trustworthy are as important now as they ever are. In fact, they might even be more important. At this point in time, I'm going to speak about this this coming Sunday on GBC Online. uh, We want to be on purpose. You know, all of a sudden we have been forced into margin in our lives. So a whole bunch of space. What are we going to fill that with? Are we going to be intentional? We have an opportunity in this period of time when people around us are so anxious and so frightened and given to panic buying and hoarding that we are called to be big hearted followers of Jesus. If if this isn't a time to be a whole life learner, I don't know what is. We've been learning so much uh, just as a staff trying to figure out how are we going to facilitate discipleship uh, as followers of Jesus when we can't meet how we normally do. I'm sure you're finding the same thing true as you work out what to do with your children at home or how you're going to be working your business remotely or whatever that might be. We want to be those who are others focused. We want to be paying attention to the government regulations, not just because they're government regulations, but because ultimately we want to care for those around us. And the same way we want to be trustworthy. And that's the value that we want to wrap up with in this sermon that I want to kind of walk you through a little bit uh, and uh, explain and explore what we mean by that, particularly as a discipleship value right now. So the definition that we've given to being trustworthy is about being known in our community. In other words, being experienced by our community when they interact with us, when they engage with us, when they have anything to do with us, that they experience us as being safe, consistent and a non-anxious presence. Now, I think the first two of those words you're probably quite familiar with, the idea of safety, has become very, very important for us, particularly in light of the consequences and implications of the Royal Commission. So there's a lot of new legislation about how we ensure that children, in particular, are safe physically and sexually and emotionally. But that safety extends to anyone who's vulnerable in our society and extends to more circumstances than physical and sexual safety. We want to be a community that is emotionally safe. We want workplaces that are emotionally safe. And the list goes on and on. To be consistent, I think, is also a fairly straightforward term. Uh, we want to be the sorts of people who uh, follow through on what we say we will do. We want to do what we said we will do when we said we would do it. We want to re- respond in the same way uh, to circumstances that people can trust us, not only because we're safe and they know that their own safety will be held as a priority for us, but also so that we are consistent and they know how we are going to behave. The third term, though, the idea of being non-anxious may not be familiar to you. It's, it's a term that I've come across in leadership. I came across it a number of years ago at a conference and have since read the book where I believe the term originated by Edwin Friedman. It's called a failure of nerve. And what he argues is that in our current context, leaders often are not able to lead because the pressure on them to respond and react to everything that's happening means that they end up getting swallowed up in the the um, events and the immediacy, rather than remembering where it is they're going, where they're trying to take the organization or the the company or the church, in this case, towards uh, and being non-anxious in that space. And so he talks about the need for leaders to be self-differentiated, to be just a little bit separated from the fray so that we might remember where it is that we're going. And I think that this idea is not just for leadership. It's actually an idea that I think can be reflected in us as a community of faith. That in a world that is so chaotic, that wants so much, that's always uh, demanding a response one way or the other, we can be a community of faith that remembers where we're going, who we serve, what we're on about, and in the midst of that, be a non-anxious presence. Now, these ideas, as you can imagine, come out of leadership. They come out of uh, the legislation. And that's the, the context that we most often think about. But ultimately, all of these values are wrapped around discipleship for us. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for me and for you and for us as a community of faith to live these values out as followers of Jesus? And so each week that we've looked at one of these values, what we've tried to do is is pin them back to discipleship, what it looks like to follow Jesus, because that's where these values extend beyond what we do on a Sunday to our families and to our organizations and businesses in our neighborhoods. uh, And on it goes. So I'd like to kind of pin these values back to a passage in Mark chapter 5, an example where I think Jesus functions as a safe consistent and a non-anxious presence. I'm not sure that those are the words that were used in the original Greek uh, but I think that it's clearly displayed here and gives us a bit of a model to follow. So if you have your Bibles with you and want to have a look at Mark chapter 5 starting in verse 21. I'm going to read most of this section to you and then draw your attention to a few things within it. So Mark chapter 5 starting in verse 21. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. And again, while this passage is not explicitly about the value of being trustworthy, as I was reflecting on it, I couldn't help but notice that it seems to me that Jesus reflects um, a safe presence, a consistent presence, and a non-anxious presence. And let me work those through backwards, backwards. I've always been struck by how non-anxious Jesus is, uh, about how uh, easily led he appears to be by circumstances and situations around him. I mean, Jesus was on the most important mission that the world had ever seen. He had come to not only proclaim the kingdom of heaven, but had come to ultimately forgive sins, to restore and renew the relationship between humanity and the Father. That's big stuff. That's important stuff. And yet Jesus never seems too busy for those around him. He is always willing to go with someone who needs to be healed or to follow after someone or go to the other side of the lake or whatever it might be. But at the same time, we also never get the sense that Jesus is pressured by who it is that asks him. We're told that Jairus is a synagogue leader. He would have been a very influential leader of the community. He would have been a centerpiece of that and therefore would have had uh, not only status, but influence, most likely some wealth. And yet we get no sense that Jesus was overawed by who it was that asked him. Jesus interacts with religious leaders quite frequently and never appears to be overawed. He never seems to be anxious or stressed by those who approach him or what he has to do. I found it intriguing that when Jesus is on the way, on a very urgent mission, just in this story of seeking to reach a little girl before she dies, Jesus is so non-anxious that he is able to stop in the crowd when someone touches him, and wait until that person comes forward. Now, we don't know whether if Jesus had known that he'd been touched by faith, whether he had just kind of shrugged it off and kept going, whether they would have made it on time. But we do have this sense that in the middle of a very critical mission, Jesus pauses. He waits. He waits until this woman comes forward and tells him the whole truth nor is Jesus anxious when the religious leader receives some members from his household who say that his daughter has died. Jesus is not uh, disappointed by that. Jesus is not scared by that. In fact, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. In all of these ways, Jesus appears to be this non-anxious presence. And as I was thinking about it, I think the reason why he is so non-anxious, why he is not stressed about uh, leaving whatever plans he had to go with Jairus, why he is not too stressed about the fact that Jairus, a synagogue leader, has asked him to do something, why he can pause in the crowd and why he continues on is because ultimately Jesus knew where he was going and what he was doing. He was driven by a certainty of what God wanted him to do next. And therefore, with that certainty in in his mind, in his heart, set before him, he was actually able to deal with any circumstance and situation that arose without worrying, without anxiety, without being swept along one way or the other, but ultimately to complete the work of God. I think we also see in this passage how Jesus is so consistent and he's consistent in this way that regardless of the passage Jesus always responds positively to faith always responds positively to faith Jairus is a synagogue leader He would have been well aware of what the religious leaders thought about Jesus. He probably would have been aware of how some religious leaders thought that Jesus was himself demon possessed. He would have known perhaps about the plots to kill Jesus. Those ideas that had driven this jealousy and this hatred and this anger towards Jesus. So We don't know what kind of faith he brought. Whether he brought a a really pure faith that said, I know who this man is but Jesus responds to any faith. In the same way, this woman who comes up behind Jesus, I've always been struck by her faith. It sounds a little bit to me like superstition. She thinks that there's something almost magical about Jesus's clothes instead of recognizing the significance of who Jesus was. And yet... When she touches him and when she comes forward and tells him the whole truth, Jesus' response is incredibly striking. Daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. And while it might not be the the grandest expression of faith, while it might not be the purest form of faith, it is the faith that Jesus always, 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 always responds to positively. And I think it's worth noting that Jesus is, I suppose, in one way, shape or form, safe. Safe enough for the religious leader to approach, safe enough for this woman to approach. In fact, I think that Jesus's presence as someone who is safe is reflected particularly in his response to this woman. In ancient Jewish culture, for this woman, she would have been unclean. Now, unclean does not mean sinful. Uh, It simply meant that from a ritual perspective, she was not able to go into the temple. There was something unfit about her circumstance, her physical circumstance, that kept her from approaching God, at least in the physical. She would have no doubt been able to pray and to worship, but not in the temple And by touching Jesus, she effectively infected him with the same uncleanliness. And yet Jesus does not berate her for that. He doesn't uh, tell her off for doing that. He doesn't try to correct her faith uh, or uh, identify for her the, the true significance of what's happened. He listens to the whole story and then tells her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. There's something about that that allows this woman to approach Jesus. There's a safety about him. But I actually think it's worth pausing for just a moment to reflect on what it means to be safe. Now, sometimes uh, we can assume that safety um, means that we can remain in our comfortable bubble, And that's probably not the best way to think about safety in the context of discipleship. I don't know if any of you are familiar with uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, written by C.S. Lewis, the English author and thinker and academic. Uh, He takes the stories of the gospel and transposes them into a series of children's stories in which the Christ figure is the mighty lion Aslan, And in perhaps the most famous of the books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, four children end up entering into Narnia, this magical land, through the wardrobe. Uh, And three of them are being led to be introduced to Aslan. And they find out that he's a lion, and one of them asks, is he safe? And their guide, who happens to be a beaver, says to them, safe? Of course not. He's a lion but he is good. Is he safe? Well, no, but he's good. And when we think about Jesus, I think there's something quite profound about that same statement. Is he safe? Well, if by safe you mean that we will be allowed to remain the way we are, then no. Jesus desires that we be changed, transformed, renewed, restored. And that's not always going to be a comfortable process for us, but ultimately he is good. And for us, as we seek to be a trustworthy community of faith, as we seek to be safe and consistent and non-anxious, we need to remember that ultimately the reason why we want to be safe, consistent and non-anxious It's not only to align ourselves with the legislation, as important as that is. It's not just to be consistent so people know what to expect, although that's important. Nor is it simply to not be too um, blown about by the things that take place. Ultimately, we want to be trustworthy because we want to invite people to meet Jesus We want to be a place where people's physical, uh, emotional, uh, spiritual, sexual safety is our priority, not just so that they are safe, but that they will then take steps of faith. We want to be consistent in in what we do and how we do it for the same reason. And we want to be non-anxious because we know what God has called us to, where he is leading us, where he is guiding us and what that means for us. We want to introduce people to Jesus. We want to be a trustworthy community of faith so that people will come to us. And just think about the the situation we find ourselves in right now. Not this week, but the following week. I'm hoping to to preach and reflect a little bit on what a significant turning point this, uh, this period of lockdown, this pandemic might be. Because in moments when our future is so uncertain, some people are driven away from faith and some dr- people are driven to it. There's an amazing opportunity on the horizon for us, not only to help anchor people to their faith, to help them uh, connect more strongly to Jesus, but also to invite those who are, who are drifting to come back, those who are drifting to connect with Jesus. And it's so important that we do that in a way that is ultimately trustworthy. We've been talking for a while about the fact that when people begin to follow Jesus, they don't actually have to have everything all together. When Jesus calls his first disciples in Matthew chapter four, I think it's really intriguing and incredibly profound that the disciples do not have their life together. They, they do not understand uh, who Jesus is, nor do they have any faith in him. That all comes later. But they begin to follow him immediately. And and that says something to me again about the, the safety, the consistency, the non-anxious presence of Jesus. Jesus wasn't too fast. I mean, there are moments when he starts to say to his disciples, you know, come on, boys, you should probably have this figured out by now. But he never abandons them. In fact, when he goes to his death, he tells them, you're all going to leave me. You're all going to run away. But when I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. In in other words, I expect to see you there. Even you abandoning me is not enough to make me abandon you. He is not uh, anxious about their lack of faith, their lack of understanding, their power mongering, their desire for more, the, the, the attitudes that they have that are not consistent with the kingdom of heaven. Jesus... Jesus waits, but he ultimately wants to see them, his disciples and us transformed. We need to be a place where people can be physically safe, where they can be sexually and emotionally safe, where people can be spiritually safe, not just from abuse of power, but uh, from uh, the condemnation of doubts that they might have. We want to be a place where people can begin to follow Jesus they can have doubts, they can have questions, they can they not have their life together, and it's okay because we know that ultimately what's happening is God's work in their life. And we can kind of take our hands off that and wait to see what God does. But recognizing that our safety, our consistency, our non anxious presence will bring with it a degree of disruption. Disruption to people's lives, their beliefs, their attitudes that will come with the transforming power of Jesus Christ. So, these five values to be on purpose, big hearted, whole life learners, others focused, and trustworthy want to define who we are as a community of faith. I would hope that these values are not things that we only practice when we're gathered together. If that's the case, we're not going to get to practice them for a while. These are values that define followers of Jesus. The ideas behind them about being intentional and generous, about loving those around us, about being safe, are not unique to us. They're not particularly original, but they're our language to describe the sorts of people that we want to be. And right now, Even though we can't gather together as the community of faith, even though many of us are spending more and more time in our homes with less and less activity accessible to us, doesn't mean that these values are any less relevant. We are, wherever we are, and in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, followers of Jesus. So can I encourage you? Can I really encourage you to pray that these values will become more and more a reflection of who you are, of who I am, of who we are. And that we might find ways to live these values out, that they might indeed drive our behavior in very particular, very specific ways in order that people might ultimately be led to Jesus. For it's in his name that we do all these things. Amen. Let me take a moment to pray for us, an opportunity for us just to reflect briefly on this. Thank you so much for listening to this, for hearing the end of the story. Really encourage you to to live these out in practice. But join me as we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you call us into your mission that you invite us to participate by your spirit in the things that you are doing. And we pray for ourselves as individuals, I pray for those who are listening, who are watching, to this, watching this right now, that you might, in them, help them to be more intentional about participating with you, that you might unlock big-hearted generosity in them, that we might always be those who are learning more about who you are, that we might be focused on the good of those around us and that we might be trustworthy. For the sake of your kingdom, for the glory of your name, we ask it. Amen. Until we see you again, God bless.